I'm Dale McGowan, sitting in for Leanne Lord, and this is Human Story. I went to a convention. Yeah, I'm not really a convention guy. Too much of an introvert, for one thing, and this was an atheist convention on top of it. Also not really my thing, to be honest. Too often the same ten speakers on the same two topics and the smugness and the bumper stickers, I... I'll go back and edit that out. Anyway, at some point, I stopped going to these things. But this year, American Atheists was going to be in my town, Atlanta, over Easter weekend. Their first convention since the pandemic, so I decided to go see if anything had changed. And it was kind of amazing. I didn't recognize it. What I found was a movement that's becoming more human, more emotional, less smug, more interesting. I brought my microphone and I had conversations over that weekend with 22 fantastic, interesting people. I started each one with a simple question. A very simple question, which would be a four-hour answer. How does a secular perspective change the way I see the world and my own life? You're convinced that there is only one world and we only get one life. There is no next, no heaven, but also no hell. There's no benevolent power watching over us and no guarantee of ultimate justice. As Terry Pratchett said, there's no justice, there's just us. One world, one life, no guarantees. So how does that change things? You only get this one life. And that changes how you approach almost everything else, right? If I only have this one chance, there's nothing after this. That means that everything that I do in this life is consequential. That's Madison. She flipped the question of meaning on its head. Instead of having no meaning... The fact that life is finite, that it's limited, makes everything in a secular life more consequential. You know, I don't get to say, well, you know, it's all right that this happened. The next life will be better. It definitely gives me a different approach to social justice, um, particularly as an African-American, where we were indoctrinated to withstand a lot of abuse in this life with the promise of paradise in the next life. So I think it just, it changes everything for me. I am, I live life robustly, not only in terms of how I um, approach activism or any of those things, but just in terms of how I approach my everyday life. I want to live a full life. I want to end it sliding into home plate. Phil was in from Alabama. Most people live their life in a secular way and don't even know it. You know, people lock their doors, people pay their car insurance, people put on their seatbelts. They they say they're saved, but nobody acts like they're saved. So for me to realize that people actually really literally believe this stuff was just jarring. And I don't, I think I've been in that same state of shock ever since I was that kid. I have more uh, ability to do things on my own. This is Giselle. It's been a long time since I've come out secular, you know, atheist. 
I was inhibited on what I could do, you know, and how free and open I could be. I didn't notice it as much until I came out, you know, and it's like, wow, I can actually move out and think on my own, do what I want, you know. So I, I feel that I was more able to be more free in what I did. My name is David Orenstein. David's perspective is interesting because seeing multiple perspectives is kind of his job. I think my secularism grows out of my interest in humanism uh, and also grows out of what I do for a living, which is anthropology. I'm an anthropologist by training. And so I get to see the world not from just one point of view, but from multiple point of views because of my training. And what I've come to discover about uh, myself is the clarity that I think secularism offers and the liberation and the freedom secularism offers um, uh, to, uh, to enjoy life um, without the fear or threat uh, of being um, uh, disabled by any religious or faith-based community. Sometimes the transition into a secular worldview is easy. My name is Laura Ross. And sometimes it's just not. I used to, as a child, think that God's hand was in everything. And if we only prayed, we'd get what we needed, even if God said no, which is what my preacher said. But as I turned 15, I was freaking out that something something I prayed for didn't happen and and then I thought about kids with cancer, <laughs> kids starving and stuff. And you know they're praying. And people in the hospitals are praying all the time, and they don't get a good outcome. And my minister said, well, sometimes God, God's reasons are that he says no. And I, I was like, God is so mean. And then, <laughs> and then I thought, you know what it is? There's no God. And that scared me to death. So, um. So what was the question again? <laughs> when I first discovered there was no God, it was really, really scary because it was like someone blew out the pilot light and I couldn't find matches, you know. I couldn't I couldn't get it back. But as I've gotten older, it's... It's kind of nice because you don't have to worry about thinking about, well, when I die, this is I'll go to heaven and this will all be taken care of. You, you are more likely to work for things in the life you know you have. And you're more likely to try to make a good life for people and be kind to people and be moral and, and stuff without saying, oh, you know... Give it to God. <laughs> Sometimes there's no transition at all because you were there from the beginning. Here's Phil. I never left religion. You know, I came up uh, with my father 
being an atheist or being, I guess, making me second generation atheist. And he's not an atheist in the sense that he doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist in the sense that that's a stupid question. And why would you ask him that in the first place? I didn't even know he was an atheist until I was about college age because it was just not important to him to bring up. It would have made as much sense for him in his mind to tell me that, pull me aside and say, hey, by the way, I don't believe in leprechauns. I never really knew how it affected me until I started listening to stories of other people who were born, uh, raised in a religious background. And that's when I really noticed that, no, I do see the world differently from them. So it's affected me in a way that I'm not even fully aware myself because a lot of the things that people take for granted in a more uh, religious background just aren't an issue for me. This is Dan. I think I, I come at this a little bit different, different than uh, most because I was not raised as a believer, been secular atheist my entire life. It's interesting because I've, I remember having a, uh, uh, a very skeptical look at the world going all the way back to when I was like in third grade. And I can remember, you know, by the time I was 10 or 11, I was picking up the, the books on UFOs and ghosts and that kind of thing. And looking through them and being interested in them. But at the same time, I was like, there's something missing to this. I wasn't mature enough yet to have the full perspective. But, you know, as I grew up and read more and interacted more with people with it, had a different viewpoints and things like that, I did learn that. It really does inform my views because I don't even consider the idea of a God watching or anything. It doesn't even enter my thought processes because I don't come from that religious perspective. I come from the secular perspective. So my name is Kaberi Kargupta. I am from Raleigh, North Carolina right now. I don't have any favorites among my interview subjects. I love them all equally, but I could have talked to Kaberi for hours just because her experience was so different from mine and from the stories I usually hear. I am a scientist. My area of specialization is ecology conservation, but I am an interdisciplinary scientist, so I do use, um, I also have a degree in anthropology. So I use different, um, I actually do my research on the intersection of social science and biological science. She's from India. That's why her path was so different. I study slender loris, and my PhD work is on that. Right now, I have a project in Bangalore City. It's called Urban Slender Loris Project. It's a citizen science project. So we had been doing um, citizen science work um, basically looking at slender loris population in the city and what are the um, you know, habitats that are left for them or how they are drastically changing. So all of this done with citizens whom I trained to do the nocturnal surveys to look for lorises in the city. Yeah, so it's a community, it's community driven. So it's a lot of engagement of community has gone into that.
should start from quoting my mother who used to say that um, probably religion had some importance and values in times when we did not know science or we did not know much about science. Now that we know origin of life or you know how evolution work, um, then it's much better to believe in uh, instead of going for gods, it's to be secular and believe in human humanism or you know helping humans. So if you look at if you are helping humans, that means you are helping God. That's much better than what we are doing right now. So I think the secular, I grew up in a country, you know, in India where, which is supposed to be secular and it was more secular than what it is now. And I could see that as a, in a secular setup, there's less trouble, less fightings, less, you know, communal riots. And uh, instead of spending that money and time and energy, people can do you know, better stuff that would improve the quality of life. Most of my childhood, until probably 14 or 15, I grew up with my aunt, um, who was an interesting person. She was a God-fearing person. And I grew up in this town where, um, especially this part of the town where everything uh, revolves around a 500-year-old Krishna temple. I did do a lot of religious activities, but the, it was not a fundamentalist religion, you know. And to me, um, those religious activities were, or basically those are rituals, uh, were like more of a playing with my doll, you know. So I liked it. But then my mother is an, was an atheist. Whenever I would come to see my mother, you know, so my mother would talk about, um, you know, evolution. My mother was a school teacher. Both my aunt and my mother were school teachers. And she would talk about, you know, secularism um, and how she became an atheist. Um, so she started, you know, telling us, um, as she was teaching us science through cleaning and prepping a fish, we have a fish pond, so my mother would, uh, my father would get fish and my mother would, um, you know, remove, uh, clean them and would show us the fish anatomy. We had stuff growing in the house, vegetables and stuff, so she would talk about plants and plant biology. With all those things, I became an atheist, but initially there was this conflict in my mind. I'm hearing something from my aunt or seeing others doing it, and then my mother is saying that, you know, there is no God, uh, but I won't stop you from doing any um, rituals. That's what she used to say. So there was this confusion when, while growing up. I love biology. So when I was probably in eighth grade and started reading about evolution and stuff uh, and hearing my mother. So I became an atheist much earlier than you know, a lot of other people probably would. I think a secular perspective really helps to just like kind of open your eyes to things and not be limited to just one way of thinking. That's Devin. Because I'm always kind of like looking at it from multi angles and how other people see it. And so I think that definitely helps seeing in multiple ways and not being stuck in one. Andres grew up in Peru. 
Yeah, so I was born and raised in Peru, which is a very Catholic, by default, um, country. He's a TikToker and YouTuber under the name Baphometal. I never really considered myself to be a true believer. It definitely gives me a different outlook as opposed to a person who is, you know, let's say Christian, right? The way that religion, um, the way they teach you to behave or to live your life is that this life is dirty rags. It's worthless, basically. You're a sinner. You're dirty. You're full of sin. You need to repent. They give you the poison, and they also give you the antidote with the other hand. There's always that shaming, that gaslighting, that constant guilt. And to me, that is not a good way to live. So knowing that there's people out there that live their life like that, you know, it, it, I feel very glad that I'm able to not have over my, my head and knowing that I only have one life, you know, and be able to live life to the fullest. I enjoy my life. I am trying to be as successful as I can, making connections. I value relationships. I value my friendships because I know this is the only life I'm going to get, uh, as opposed to perhaps someone who's very religious who sees the world differently because they know I am living for the afterlife. I'm living because there's going to be prize at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, we are here right now, and you create your own hell, you create your own heaven, depending on your actions. So I take full responsibility for my own actions. I practice social work. Finally, there's Raven. In social work, we have a code of ethics. I get feedback a lot that I'm a very ethical social worker and that I live and breathe my code of ethics. And that is uh, really good and important feedback to me, um, especially as a secular person. Most people don't know I'm a secular person, but to know that they believe I'm very ethical and that I have those values is affirming to me. So being secular drives my belief in the ethics of my profession. It drives my belief in the right to um, choose for my clients. It helps me recognize that every person's life that I impact in my work, it's literally their only life that they're living, um, and that it's very important that I'm careful in how I do what I do, and that I um, am respectful of their right to choose, whatever that might be. It doesn't matter if it's a choice I would make. Um, it matters that I present options, that I give um, the best that I know is available and that I allow them to come from a place of their own motivation to then make the choice that's best for their life, their family, and their future. And because I don't believe in another life, I take that very seriously. I, I look at every person that I, I'm, you know, my work is touching their life or their children's lives and I do it with the weight and gravity of knowing the impact of the work I'm doing and the decisions I'm making. And I've worked in a lot of really difficult areas of social work. I've worked in child welfare, um, which is some of the most horrific things you can see. And I've had some really beautiful things that have come from the work I did there. I was able to help children find forever families 
And I did that with families who were LGBTQ families who may have never had that opportunity in the conservative state that I come from. Um, and I was able to support their journey to you know, permanency. And that's a beautiful option, right? And all of that is because of my secular perspective on the world. I don't judge people's choices and their lives and, and who they are. I just let them be. The Voices of People at the American Atheist Convention in Atlanta in April 2022. That was Episode 7 of Human Story, a podcast exploring the human experience from a secular point of view, one story at a time. Special thanks to American Atheists and Nick Fish, one of a new generation of leaders that is transforming the freethought movement into something really special. Each episode of Human Story will bring you different storytellers sharing what it's like to be one of seven billion living, feeling, thinking human creatures temporarily awake on a minor planet. So what's your story? If you have a secular perspective, a good story, and a gift for telling it, go to onlysky.media slash submissions to submit an idea for an episode of your own. We're especially interested in post-religious stories, stories about any aspect of the human experience after you're done grappling with religion. Give us a glimpse of what it's like to live in your head and see the world through your eyes. That's onlysky.media slash submissions. Human Story is a production of Only Sky Media, a home for journalism, storytelling, and opinion serving the growing community of the religiously unaffiliated. Visit us online and add your voice to the conversation at onlysky.media and subscribe to the Human Story podcast on the service of your choice. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Human Story. Human Story.